In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the Old Testament reading from Genesis. You may be seated. Today we begin our last push toward our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been counting down these days since before Ash Wednesday hit, before Lent began proper. You remember those funny named Sundays like Septuagesima and Sexagesima and Quinquagesima. We marked 70 days out as the church counts from the resurrection of Jesus. We have been looking forward to this celebration, at least from a church year perspective, for a long time. And I will say that on a personal note, that in the post-COVID world that we live in, I relish even more the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus because it seems like we lost a lot the year that we weren't together for it. But that aside, the whole Bible really is preparing us for this celebration, beginning to end, Genesis all the way up to the Gospels. And the Old Testament reading for today gives us one of those great types, as we say in theology or in literature, we might say a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus in the near sacrifice of Isaac. The epistle reading for today teaches us about how Christ is both our high priest, but how he is also our sacrifice for our sins. And the reading from John today teaches us that Jesus is both fully God and fully man who will lay down his life for us. The imagery of these texts is so full of significance because these days in the life of the church are so full of significance. They are unparalleled with any other time of the church year. As sweet and tender as Christmas is, for instance, Christmas's significance is built upon the crucifixion and death of Jesus. The salvation that Jesus accomplishes for us is the main plot of the entirety of the Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. The first promise God made to Adam after the fall into sin in Genesis 3 was that Christ would come to be born of woman's seed to crush the serpent's head, and that at the same time the devil would bruise his heel indicating that the redemption of God for us, when he bought us back, it would cost him something. So let's take a closer look at the Old Testament reading that we might begin to see and understand what that cost actually is. First, God commands Abraham to take Isaac to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Remember that God had made a promise earlier to Abraham about this child in particular. Abraham and his wife Sarah had no child which they could pass their legacy on to. And yet, in Genesis 15, God made the promise that Abraham would become the father of many nations. Now, you might remember Abraham and Sarah try to take things into their own hands. They 
contract with Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid of Sarah, to have a child with Abraham. But God had made a promise about Sarah in particular. He'd said that she, even in her advanced age, would have a son. And Isaac was the result of that. When Abraham was 100 years old, Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. And God promised, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Even more so, we know that Isaac was the first child born in the line that would eventually produce the Christ. Now, as a father, I can't imagine what went through Abraham's mind when God had made this command. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I will command you. But there's more than that to this. We know something that Abraham doesn't know yet at this point. Think of some of the language in the New Testament that we hear. Jesus is is called God's only son. At the baptism and at the transfiguration of our Lord, God the Father repeats from heaven, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When Abraham goes, the journey to Moriah takes three days. Just the same number of days of Christ's sojourn in the tomb. You may have caught the detail that I just saw this morning for the first time, even though I've read this text I don't know how many times. Abraham took with him, besides Isaac, two young men. The same number of people crucified with Jesus at Calvary. Abraham laid the wood of the burnt offering upon his son and made him carry it to the place of sacrifice in the same way that Jesus was commanded to carry the cross to Golgotha. Many students of the Bible think that Isaac at this point was probably in his teenage years and would have easily been able to overpower his over 100-year-old father to escape being tied down and laid on the altar. In the same way, that Jesus, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, could have easily wiped out his enemies at the cross and prevented himself from being made the sacrifice. There are a lot of similarities between the story of Abraham and Isaac and the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's where the similarities end. Many refer to this event in Genesis as the sacrifice of Isaac, but that's not quite right, is it? Isaac escapes the knife. The angel of the Lord comes down and stops Abraham from slaughtering his son. The author of Hebrews, by the way, gives us a little bit more insight into this event, saying, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
Abraham was as or Abraham as good as received Isaac back from the dead. When God commanded him to do it, it had to be done. Abraham was not given a choice. If you would like to do this, Abraham, go and offer your son as a sacrifice. Abraham believed that God could and would raise him from the dead. But again, that's not what happens in the text. Perhaps then, these stories aren't as similar as we originally thought. For in the land of Moriah, which means, as we learned from our Genesis reading for today, which means God will provide, God did provide a substitute. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Isaac would not die, but in his place, the ram's life was offered instead. So maybe these two stories aren't that different in the end after all. Though Isaac is an ancestor of Jesus, the real foreshadowing character of Jesus in this text is not Isaac. The real foreshadowing is the ram that is offered in his place. Jesus is the spotless lamb who is caught not by his horns, but is caught by his love and gives his life as a sacrifice in the place of Abraham and Isaac and you and me. As the writer of Hebrews put it today, Christ has appeared. He is the high priest of the good things that have come. He has entered into the holy places, not by the blood of bulls or goats, or even by child sacrifice, but by his own holy and precious blood. And this, dear saints, he does on his own terms. Jesus would not be stoned by the Jews before his time. He hid himself from the Jews in the end of the gospel reading so that he would appear again before the likes of Herod and Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate in order that he would be sentenced and condemned to die a specific death, the death upon the cross. For that was the day that Abraham, by some prophetic glance, saw and made him glad. But what we don't necessarily get from any of the texts that we read was something more about Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered the ram in Isaac's place. For at Mount Moriah, as biblical geography and history tell us, that's the same place that Solomon, was instructed to build the temple in Jerusalem. And outside the walls of that place is where Jesus was offered as our sacrifice, as our substitute at the cross. So there is a strong temptation that will kick in soon among us if it hasn't already. 
As I said, we've been counting down for a long time for the celebration of the resurrection. How beautiful is the sanctuary on Easter Sunday when it's draped in white. We're offering up the incense of the Easter lilies. How profoundly joyful the hymns are of those days as we sing things like, this is the feast, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the Lamb's high feast we sing. We love those days. We are, after all, Easter people. We are people of the resurrection. But I want you to to pause for just a moment. The Bible teaches that there is a time for everything under heaven. And this means that there is a time for alleluias and lilies. But there's also a time for Lord have mercies and songs about the death of our God on Calvary's tree. So, I want, you to, I want to invite you to join with me and with all of the saints in the church militant here on earth to slow down and to stay a while here with Jesus at the cross. Come and ponder its sorrow Come and ponder the love of God that he shows to us at the cross. Come and ponder the cost of our sin and what it costs God to win us back. Come to the cross, not like Peter and James and John, who could not keep awake in Gethsemane's dark night, but come to the cross with Mary and weep. Come to the cross and stay just a little bit longer. See what Abraham saw as the real substitute, not just for him and Isaac, but for the whole world. So come to the cross in these next few weeks and ponder the mystery of the love of our God for us poor sinners. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.